The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. I'm your host, Joey Bushnell. Today I'm joined by one of the world's best copywriters. His name is Michael Fortin. Go to michaelfortin.com to find out more. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Michael, how did you become a copywriter? Do you want the short version or the long <laughs> version? Okay. Well, the long story short is this, is that uh, I went into sales uh, whenever I first started, uh, when I went into the workforce uh, in, in an effort to fight this overwhelming fear of rejection. And, you know, there's no better way to fight a fear uh, than to, to, to do what you fear, right, as, uh, as the saying goes. So I jumped into sales and I was, of course, rejected. In fact, I was so uh, rejected or so bad at selling my first year of selling that I declared bankruptcy because I was living off of seven credit cards to pay for food and all that. So uh, after uh, you know trying different things, learning about selling, learning techniques about selling, I became really good at selling as long as I could get my foot in the door, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, because I was really good at, at doing a presentation with somebody who's qualified and who wanted to hear me. But until I get my foot in the door, I was really bad. I, I, I hated rejection. So... What I decided to do is, again, I was a bankrupt, uh, commissioned-only salesperson, and I decided to try this thing called writing letters, writing letters and mailing them out to people and offering them a free presentation. And then when they would call me, I would then have a booked appointment, a booked presentation. I was selling in the insurance business, by the way. I had a booked presentation with a qualified, targeted client or a prospect at that point, so I knew I wasn't going to get rejected, and then I, be, I went from a bankrupt commission salesperson to the number one salesperson for this multinational insurance company for eight months in a row. And that was the power of – I discovered when I did that the power of writing letters, the, the, the power of this thing called copywriting. <laughs> so that's how I started out, and it wasn't really until the internet came around and I started to write the same types of letters but online – putting them on websites, and then I realized, wow, there is something to this copywriting gig. So people were now starting to hire me to write their copy, and uh, it just exploded from that point on. And as you can uh, probably attest or see, it's, you know, the history, uh, the rest is history, I guess. So how is your time spent these days? Is it writing offline copy, online copy, or training other people how to write copy? It's more training. Uh what ha- what's happening is my fees are uh, because of the fact that I- I've got so many clientels. I always have clients. I've always I'm always going to write copy for clients, but I have several clients who hire me on a regular, consistent basis on a full time, uh, ongoing retainer, so to speak. Uh, and I have uh, royalty arrangements with them, so I'm more of a partner in their businesses. Okay. And so that's what I'm doing. So. I- I'll take the odd job here and there if I, you know, if I feel like I want to, and I'm still open to, to doing that. Uh, depending on, you know, whenever people send me a quote request, I'll, I'll sort of 
wonder if I, you know, either I'll do it or I'll have one of my trained junior copywriters do it for me. Mm-hmm. However, uh, my, my real access, my real focus these days is more on training and on, uh, uh, actually doing critiques, more consulting work where I, I'll actually tell people what's wrong with their copy and they can actually fix it or rewrite it themselves. Is it true that you had some involvement with a very successful campaign for John Reese a few years back? Yeah, well, this, that's the campaign that, that actually I'm very well known for. And it's the funniest thing because to me, I don't consider it to be A, the, the best copy in the world and C, the, or B, the best uh, uh, campaign in the world. I mean, it's been that record that I create or that I set that day has been broken many, many times since by copywriters who are 10 times better than me. Yeah. But I'm, I'm well known for that because I'm sort of the, uh, as you can say, the Roger Bannister of online copy. <laughs> uh, as you probably know, Roger Bannister is a gentleman who broke the four minute mile. Yeah. And when he, once he did that, because it was, it was tried, that record was tried to be broken for a long, long time. And once he did, it, many, many people after him just came around and, and broke it very easily. So yeah. when I, when I sold, uh, when I wrote that copy for John Reese, who sold over a million dollars in one day, it became the quote unquote, the million dollar day record setting event, which I'm very well known for. But again, just to be clear, I mean, there's a lot of other copywriters who beat that record who have done even much, you know, much more than that than, than since then. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I have also since done that as well. I've, I've actually wrote campaigns for other people who have done over a million dollars in one day since then. That really is an incredible achievement, Michael. Brilliant. So we've established that you're a pretty good copywriter, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. You'll be giving us some tips that will improve our own copy. My first question is, what are the three P's of copy that you sometimes refer to, and why do we need to use those? Okay. Well, before I, I jump into the three P's, the, it, it's actually a three-legged stool. Think of a stool that if you only have one leg, you're going to have to keep your balance, right? If you have two legs, it's a little bit better, but it's still there's no balance. But if you have three legs, you can literally keep – you can sit on a stool and it'll, you'll sit properly. Well, it, every copy has to have those three legs. It might miss one or it might be weak in one, but think of a, a leg of a stool that might, that might be too weak. The, the stool will fall, the, the chair will fall. So copywriting is based on, on three immutable facts. I call them, uh, the three, the three laws of human nature that people never, uh, they never read anything at first. Uh, they never believe anything at first. And then they never do anything at first. Um, because a lot of times whenever you, you, people will hit a website very often, they'll just skim, scan and scroll. They'll just look for something that's interesting. And if it's not interesting, they'll just go away. Um, the second is if they do start reading for whatever reason, um, they're never going to believe everybody's cynical these days. Everybody's skeptical. They're not going to really truly believe what you're saying that you've got to, you know, show them more than just, you know, a nice little story that that's, uh, or, or some kind of platitude. And then the third thing is ne- people never do anything. So, you know, they're, once they finish reading, is that it? The, you know, they're just going to leave your website and not do anything. So the three P's is based on those three laws. The three P's comes down to this. Pull, prove, push. Pull them into your copy, meaning get them to start reading your copy. That's the first job. It's the job of your headline. It's the job of the first paragraph. It's the job of any accessory or uh, what we call grabbers. Uh, on the on the copy, whether it's an image, it's a script, or something that grabs your attention. The next point is to get and tell a story that's believable, that's provable, that's credible, 
and that's to prove your case. Why should they listen to you? Why should they read more? And and finally, why should they buy at, you know whatever you're selling? The third is to get them to act. A lot of people, what they do is they create sales letters, and then again, it's like that two-legged stool that doesn't you know they'll fall. Mm-hmm. A lot of people write great copy, they have a great headline, they'll have a great story, they'll have great proof, but they really make it hard for people to actually order from you. It's it's the weirdest thing. So you got to tell people what to do. It's it's funny because a lot of people will say, "Well, Michael, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, um, insult the intelligence of my reader. I don't want to tell them what to do." Yes, you do, because the the mind is is such that if it's not told what to do, it'll if you leave peop, the readers to their own devices, the first thing they'll do, remember, they never do anything at first, so they'll just leave. So you need to get them to take action. So pull. Proof and push. Those are the three P's. Look at your copy right now. Does it pull people sufficiently into your copy? Does it prove the case enough? Do people really believe what you're selling? And then finally, the third, which is, are you actually getting to d- them to do something, which is to take action? Are you asking for action and are you literally uh, taking the time to, to, to take them by the hand, so to speak, in the copy? What is the oath formula? Again, this is a formula that I've heard you refer to many times. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, my formula is not nothing new, by the way. Uh, yeah. I just created the acronym, but the formula itself or the, the, the basis behind the formula is nothing new. In fact, there was a book by the name of, um, from a, an author by the name of Eugene Schwartz, very famous copywriter. Mm-hmm. His book is called Breakthrough Advertising. And Gene talks about the very stages of awareness of a product and, and the very stages of awareness of the problem. I like to call it oath because it tells, pe- it tells me where is your market at? Exactly where are they in the level of, of awareness and the level of consciousness about the problem? Next, you know, the product is important and that's something that we can look at later on. But right now, what I need to know is, if, is the market aware of the problem that I'm going to be solving with my product or service? And now, why is that important? You know, a lot of people ask me, this is the, the biggest question I'm always asked. Michael, should I use long copy or short copy? And I don't, I can't answer that question because I don't know your market. I should ask him, how aware is your market of the problem that you're solving? The less aware they are, the more you need to educate them. Therefore, the more copy you're going to need. So OATH is an acronym that stands for oblivious, apathetic, thinking, and hurting. And what it means is simply this, oblivious. They are oblivious about the problem. They don't know anything about the problem. They really are completely oblivious. The next is apathetic. They know about the problem, but they don't really care about it. It's not something they want to solve. It's not really important to them. That's what they're apathetic about it. And thinking is, oh, well, they, they know about the problem, but, and they, they want, they're thinking about doing something about it. It's something that they, they're probably considering. Maybe they're shopping around or just searching for information about the problem. They're sort of getting a little bit involved in the process of trying to get it solved or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then finally, hurting. Well, that's the desperate market. That's the market that's hurting right now. They they, they have a problem and they are desperately looking at solving it now. So as you can probably imagine, the more hurting the market is, I mean, you pretty much, if you have a product that immediately solves their problem like that, Mm -hmm. chances are you, you you just need to put a buy now button on your web copy and they'll click on it. But if they're oblivious, then you need to have a lot of copy, long copy, because now you need to sort of educate them on the problem and why it's important for them to to not only solve it, but why is it important for them to solve it now. So you're literally taking them through the stages of oblivious all the way to hurting and then, and then bridging that gap, so to speak. 
Sure. So is it just to the portion of the market that is hurting right now that we should sell to? Or can we still sell to the people in the other three stages as well within the same sales letter? Well, it, it, this is a question where you need to investigate your market. Who is your market specifically? And if you know a lot of people who are jumping into business now, uh, and if they're asking me, well, Michael, who should I go after first? Well, I, I tell them, that obviously, go after the lowest hanging fruit. Go after the hurting market first. Mm-hmm. Once you've saturated, once you've you know covered that market well, you've got a lot of information. You've got a lot of sales behind you, and you've also got a lot of – I guess you can call it marketing research because now you you know a little bit more about your market that way. Uh, if this is only if you're brand new, by the way, yeah. um, then you can sort of go into the other stages. And now you need to go after the thinking market, and later on you can go after the apathetic. Now, let's say you're you're not new into the market. Let's say the market has been around for a while, or it, it, this is something you're researching currently with your existing market. And you discover that your market falls into, like I say, try to go after the most predominant segment of your market. If the majority of your market, let's say 80 or 90 percent of the people in your market falls in the, I don't know, the, the apathetic category, then go after the apathetic because that's where the biggest, you know, the biggest piece of the pie is. But let's say your market falls into one or two, uh, sorry, two or three of these segments or even all four. Um, there's several ways to attack this. Now, this might be more of a logistical question, but you might either A, write a letter for every single one of those segments. So in this case, you might have four letters. Mm-hmm. So you'll have one letter that's really focused on the uh, oblivious and one that's on uh, focused on the apathetic and so on and so forth. Or B, actually have a letter that targets the, 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 the oblivious, has all that education, and then basically – uh, offer in your letter, especially online, online now you have that ability, you have those tools, those scripts, where people can actually pop up information dynamically as they're reading your sales letter so that they can go and get the information they're looking for if they are part of the lower, uh, of the, the less known market or the, the more oblivious market. And what I mean by that is this. Um, I tend to say, okay, you cover all your bases. The problem is people who are hurting might want to have the problem solved right away. So when they hit your website and they see it's a long scrolling sales letter, they have to read 20 pages worth before they actually get to buy. Don't make them waste their time. Offer them the ability to buy right away. Maybe a button at the top, maybe a way or, or a link that says, you know, skip this info, buy now. That way the hurting market will know right away. But in most cases, sometimes that could be counterproductive. It really depends on your market. What I say to people is this. You can have now sales letters where you will have information that when you click on a link, information pops up on the fly or or they can go to another page that has additional information or they'll have information that sort of flies in or zooms in. So nowadays you can literally create dynamic, interactive sales letters so that you can have a sales letter that at face value might look like a, a, a letter that, that's appealing to the hurting market, mm-hmm. but embedded throughout, you might have additional information that people can find out more if they are, you know, more of the other markets. Like for example, you sell a product, uh, uh, I don't know, that uh, say uh, some kind of vitamin that prevents some kind of disease. Okay. Um, a lot of people don't know about it. Well, your, your, your letter might be about that disease if they already know about it, and, and there's a button for, for you to sell that vitamin. So now you're appealing to the probably the more thinking market. But if they don't really know about it and they're doing some research on it, you might have links and, and that says, 
well, what is this quote unquote disease or what is this in the name of the disease? And then it's a link and they click on that link and then pops up information that describes the history of the disease, how it's, how it's, you know, uh, what's, what, what the problems that the disease causes. You want to sort of, you know, add salt to the wound, so to speak. You want to, uh, or what, what Dan Kennedy, very famous copywriter says, problem, agitate, solve. You, you, you tell them about the problem, you agitate them about it, you blow it up, you make it more concrete, more big, and then you solve the problem. Well, in this case, this is sort of what you're doing. So, Long story short, can you appeal to multiple markets? Nowadays, you can with the power of the Internet. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would probably need to have a, a piece of copy that is directed to every one of those segments if you have more than one particular segment in your market. Sure. Just while you were talking then, I was thinking a lot of the time online, you will see these launches going on where people maybe release three or four videos before they then release the full sales copy. Is that a technique to take people who are oblivious or apathetic to the problem and then educate them before showing them the actual sales letter? Absolutely. This is actually – this is a great example. Thank you for bringing that up. This is exactly an example of literally teaching or educating the people. If you were to hit people with a sales letter right up front, bang, and they were in the oblivious market. Well, the problem is now you're going to have to have all that information that you – you know to educate them and then – like like I, like you said earlier, some people might be in the hurting, some people might be in the oblivious. But if you go through a campaign, an anticipation campaign, as they, as they say, where you're telling people, you're educating people about the problem up until the day of the launch, well, guess what? You are literally educating them through the process. You are educating them about the problem you're solving. You're educating them about the solutions that are available. You're educating them about your particular solution. And then you also talk about the urgency of solving that solution. That's the O-A-T-H. Those are the four levels that you solve through these anticipatory videos or even pieces of copy. Or it it could be just pieces of content. It could be articles. Uh, I give an example. I, I do a lot of stuff right now in the fitness industry. And just currently, there's a gentleman who is a, a physiotherapist who's actually launching a uh, an information product on how to treat your knee pain. Mm-hmm. Well, until the day he launches, um, he's got there's like these articles that are coming out on uh, what causes knee pain, what is the pro, what what uh, how does knee pain, can, how can knee pain be a problem in your training, your workout, how it can actually be detrimental. Uh, how actually knee pain can lead to, you know, all the possible solutions for knee pain, like sometimes like surgery that could be very uh, costly or risky. Um, some of the medications that you have to take for knee pain, which are maybe risky as well. All the way to, well, I have a product for you that'll actually show you how to, you know, uh, some therapy on how you can solve your knee pain injury. And then bam, then he launches the product and everybody's on, uh, you know, this waiting list because everybody's been taken through these stages. So, Yes, a uh, uh, long story short is yeah, that's absolutely something that you can do. It's it's a way of taking people from that point to the to the next. I've heard you speaking before about painting a vivid before and after picture in order to sell to the reader. So could you let us know a little bit about that process and why it's so important? Well, it, it's it, online or on the internet these days, it's becoming less required uh, to the degree to a degree because you're basically using various senses or you're engaging most more senses than just copy mm-hmm. uh where in in the old days where you were you know printing you had a printed sales letter you had to to paint pictures in the minds of the reader because you had nothing else to go by 
Well, nowadays with the internet, you can show video. You can actually have script that there's interaction. You can get people like, for example, online where you're selling uh, houses or homes, you will have now these 360-degree uh, people can actually go into a home online and do a visual tour, a virtual tour of the house, of the house they're looking at buying, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, whatever the case is. So, but to, to to come back to the initial point, though, uh, you I think you still have to sort of paint a picture in the minds of the reader when you're describing the problem, mm-hmm. and you're describing the salute how it how beautiful it is, or how beneficial it is, or how great it is to solve that problem and all the the wonderful feelings well how do you how do you express feelings and in fact video won't be able to do that you might see some visual expressions on a video but still when you write it it's like writing a great fiction novel i tell a lot of people who are learning how to write copy to read a lot of fiction especially stephen king for example stephen king actually wrote a book on writing called on writing and he talks about the processes that he goes through when he writes his books well, same, the same idea with copywriting. It's a bit of fiction. You've got to sort of tell a story mm-hmm. so that when people read your copy, they feel the problem. They almost get to feel it themselves. They become connected. Um, this is basically the best way I can say this. Mm-hmm. Zig Ziglar, a very famous sales trainer who recently passed away, uh, said that salesmanship is literally the transference of enthusiasm that the salesperson has for his, his or her product into the prospect. So basically, copy has that job as well. Copy is just salesmanship in print. So your job as a copywriter or as a business owner, if you're writing your own copy, is to transfer this enthusiasm you have about your product into the prospect. And the only way you can do that is to get them to vividly imagine, to to, to feel what it feels like to, A, not only have the problem, but B, have the product solve their problem and no longer have that problem and you know here's here's how you can do that you can buy my product well painting a vivid mental picture is like trying to engage all the senses that copy takes away from you Mm -hmm. um if you if you are talking about the sense of smell the sense of the sights if describing the sight, the f- the feeling, the touch, the, the visual, and you know what they call the VAC, V-A-K, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Visual, they can see, they can you know, picture what it is, you know, that you're you're the problem or the the solution. Auditory is what they hear, uh, and kinesthetic is how it feels. So when you describe these things in copy, you're telling a story, and a lot of times people say, well, or junior copywriters when they they're getting trained, they say, well, Michael, how do I do that? Well. Describe the situation. If you were to to try to describe the situation to somebody where you only had you know letters, of course, a lot of people say, "Well, I can I can show a video and all that." Well, write down, sit down, and write down in a letter format. Try to be as descriptive as possible. Of course, you can come back and edit, but write it down as descriptive as possible. And the best way to do that is to use analogies, uh, um, comparisons. Sometimes it's it's impossible to describe some some smell or some sight or some even some factual data like measurements. Um, if you can use an analogy or metaphor, people grasp metaphors and analogies so well because basically that's what telling story is. Uh, we are all you know storytellers or what I say story sellers. If you can tell a story, you can sell. So that's what it is to paint a vivid mental picture in the minds of people. You have another formula called upwards. Is that something that ties in with creating a vivid picture in people's minds and getting their imagination really going? 
Yes, yes, actually, that's that's very good to, for, for you to notice that. It's actually called universal picture words or relatable descriptive sentences. In, and it's just basically an acronym. And I know it's it's probably, you know, a lot of people say it's kind of hokey a bit, but it's an acronym because I, I love mnemonics. I love to remember, <laughs> you know, I, I, I love using acronyms and tools that will help me. Rem- when I write copy, I look at my copy, okay, am I using universal picture words? And what it means that it, by that is, Words that paint pictures, but are also universally appreciated by my market. If I use, for example, picture words that is only appreciated by only some some segment of my market, then I'm going to lose another big segment of my, my market who won't understand. You know, a lot of people, for example, they'll say, well, Michael, should I use industry jargon in my copy? Well, that, that depends. Is the industry jargon understood by universally by your market? Meaning, is there a fair majority of people in your market who will be aware of and know that particular jargon? And if they say yes, then go by head. That's what, what I mean by universal picture words. Yeah. And relatable descriptive sentences are sentences that people can relate to and, and, and it describes, you know, like the, the situation or the problem or the product in itself. So, that's what I mean by analogies, metaphors, stories, comparisons. You know, if I, I'll give you a really quick example. Um, there is a uh, there is a public service announcement in uh, here. Uh, you're, as you probably know, I'm in Canada, in Ottawa, Canada, mm-hmm. and um, we have a lot of forests. We have the tundra here, and of course, we also have bears. Well, during summer camp uh, a couple of years ago, there was a public service announcement that told kids. To stay away. when they see a bear, if they they spot a bear in the in the woods during their summer camps, uh, to stay away from the bear and and they they want to say you have to stay away at least a hundred feet from the bear. Now try to tell that to a six, seven, or eight year old kid. <laughs> what seven feet, much less you know uh, um, sixty meters, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. they won't understand that. They won't grasp it because people don't don't picture numbers. They'll picture the equivalent of what that number means. So if I, but here's what they said in that particular public service announcement. They said, children, please stay away from the bear at least two to three bus, bus lengths. Mm-hmm. Ah, that makes sense. So when you see a bear, make sure that the bear is away at least two to three or more bus lengths. So now they have something they can actually go by. Yeah. And that's what I mean by using upwards. Go in your copy, look at your copy and look at if are you using words or or are you describing something that that's a bit too um, factual, too logical, too too quote unquote cold? People don't buy on raw data. They 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 love raw data to justify their decisions, but their decisions are always emotional at first. As Zig Ziglar said, you know, people buy on emotion first, and they justify their reasons with logic. Well, do use emotion, and the great way to do that is to use upwards. Go by go back into your copy. And see if you can replace, you know, the thesaurus using synonyms is sometimes your best, the copywriter's best tool. Because then you can go by and use, you know, change. Because sometimes you can use a word that will probably mean, uh, uh, in a logical sense, it'll probably be the same definition or the same sort of meaning. But when the reader reads it, especially in context, it'll, it'll mean something completely different, maybe even more visceral. Like, you, you don't want to... Beat your competition. You want to murder your competition. So the word murder is so much more powerful, more visual, more visceral than the word beat your competition. So 
that's that's what upwards means. I've got another mnemonic or acronym here. Uh, I enjoy them as well, by the way, Michael. You have a formula called the forceps formula, which will help us to add more proof to our copy. So can you guide us through that, please? Absolutely. Forceps, it's just basically an acronym, F-O-R-C-E-P-S, which stands for Factual, Optical, Reversal, Credential, Evidential, Perceptual, and uh, Social Proof. And a lot of people will say, well, Michael, you know, uh, I've heard of adding proof to my copy, and that's adding, you know, the number of testimonials or before and after pictures or whatever the case is. And I say, well, that's social proof. In fact, that's the last element of the forceps formula. Mm -hmm. It's the one that most people use, but it's always the last one because they tend to forget that there's a lot more proof you can add to copy. Very, very shortly um, or briefly, forceps means factual facts, data, stats, figures, ingredients, measurements. Um, yes, I, I did talk about, you know, me you know, being more emotional earlier, but you need to back it up. And people, if you're, if you're saying that I'm the, I'm the best copywriter in the world, well, by whose, you know, definition, what, by what baseline, mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean exactly the best? Uh, because it's, it's so easy to claim some kind of universal vague, qualification but it means nothing if you don't back it up with some kind of data so if i can actually you know provide with data statistics all that that's called factual proof optical proof is visual proof pictures video um you know uh, graphics uh, we also add in copy different co you know even colors can actually add to whole the whole process so mm -hmm. that's what proof is show show me the money as they say <laughs> um then there's reverse proof and reverse proof is basically the proof of the opposite or the re, uh, the reverse basically what it means is if you don't take action what can you know is, is there any kind of proof that you can provide of maybe the ultimate cost of choosing an alternative or choosing not to buy today mm -hmm. and i will i will talk about for example somebody was trying to hire me to write an ad for a uh, Google AdWords campaign, and I uh, offered him a quote of $2,000. Uh, it was actually quite an intense and an in, in-depth campaign. Mm -hmm. And the person refused to, to go ahead, whether whether it's a, a budgeting issue or whatever the case was. And I said, well, listen, how much money do you plan on spending on your Google AdWords campaign? And this person had a budget of $50,000. And I said, well, if your campaign doesn't really work, if it flops, you're about to make a $50,000 mistake. Mm -hmm. What What is it going to be, $50,000 or $2,000 with me? That's reverse proof. Mm -hmm. um, then you got credentializing proof. So credentials, anything that, you know, why listen to me, so to speak. So any kind of proof you can provide that helps to understand the uh, the expertise, the education, the the endorsement level, the uh, the background. You know, if there are there any kind of associations that that the, you belong to or that the product has been uh, awarded. You know, any kind of awards. All that means is credentializing the product. Mm -hmm. um, then there's uh, evidential proof, which is evidence. Think of of a court case, and evidence is you know eyewitnesses and all that. Well, what I call evidential proof is are there any tests, clinical studies, you know, placebo-controlled double-blind studies or uh, clinical trials. And sometimes it could be something very simple. Um, in in, uh, in North America, I'm not sure if this uh, has been seen in the UK, but uh, 10 years ago, there was a famous infomercial for Duralube, which is a, a, a motor oil additive. And um, they, what they did is they, they took a car, they put it on top of cinder blocks, they... Uh, drained it completely of its oil, and then they ran the car until the motor seized. 
And then they ask, you know, a mechanic, how would, how much would it cost you? You'll either have to change the motor or it would cost, you know, upwards from $1,200 or more to fix the the motor and so on and so forth. Um, so that's about, you know, two or three thousand quid, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically what they did is they put Duralube, only this one small bottle of Duralube, um, no extra motor oil, and the, and the start, the car started right away, and it kept running for hours on that small little bottle of Duralube. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by evidential proof. It was evidence of the, the products. It, it does it as it claims. It's actually even more powerful because you're actually putting the product to the test. Yeah. So that's evidential proof. Um, perceptual proof is sort of what I talked about in upwards, but in, in describing proof elements. So telling stories, you know, relating it to the audience. But doing it in such a way where you actually are proving it to the audience with your story. Um, one great example uh, I often use when I talk about perceptual proof is when uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer, she had to, she had a blog and she was trying to describe it to people, but using these long medical terms and these things like measurements of the actual tumor and all those things, uh, people will read that and they'll say, okay, I understand. But then what she decided to do is she started describing those things uh, in, in terms that people will, you know, relate to. And she talked about her feelings about it or she will talk about, you know, a particular medical term. Well, here's what it means to you and me. Or she'll talk about the size of the tumor was actually the size of about a, a golf ball and so on and so forth. So all those things is, is still providing proof, but describing it in a way that people can perceive it as, as or they can relate to it. So it's perceptual proof. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, of course, is social proof. And that's what I mentioned earlier, which is testimonials, um, before and after pictures, um, word of mouth, all those things that you can add to a, a sales process that makes people see that the masses are already doing it. Because people have a tendency to give credibility to a, a, a larger number of people who have taken action. So if, if I'm considering buying a product, uh, and I'm the only, I'm the only one at this point considering yes or no, I might have some level of skepticism. Mm-hmm. But if I see that a great number of my peers have already given you their trust and confidence, they've already bought the product, and here's what they actually had to say about, about it, great, then that's called social proof, and that's what, what we mean by testimonials and all that. And the best way to actually use social proof is not just to talk about the benefits of the product, but very often to talk about uh, or to use testimonials in such a way where people describe how they had similar objections prior to buying the product and how their objections were either unfounded or how it was solved by solved by buying the product. So that when the person reads the copy, they have the same objections. They can relate. To the, they say, ah, this person in my social entourage had the same problem, the same objection, and they say they liked it or they say that their, their objection was actually a false or unfounded, whatever. Bang. Well, then I'm going to buy the product because I, I, I want to, you know, I believe it now. So all this, the four steps formula is all about adding more proof elements. Mm-hmm. I call them proof elements, but it's, it's basically adding more uh, substance uh, so that you want to increase the level of believability, the level of credibility of your, your copy. Absolutely. And I must say, I think that's the most solid formula for adding proof to your sales copy that I know of seven aspects there and if you can use all of those in combination you're going to be really well covered so thank you for that that's a really robust formula for giving overwhelming proof something else i've heard you mention before is the three deadly c's 
how can we combat the three deadly seas? Ah, yes. Well, um, the three deadly seas, which is cogitation, confusion, and complexity. Now, you probably notice up to this point that I love to use alliteration a lot. <laughs> the three yep. Ps or three Cs. Well, the, the three deadly seas are essentially the three things that you want to avoid as much as possible in your copy. And cogitation is just basically, uh, and I use that, it, it means critical thinking. Okay. Um, a lot of people say, uh, for example, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to dumb down my copy, Mike. I say, why? Well, it's because my audience is intelligent. I sell to, I don't know, engineers, pharmacists, doctors. Uh, my, my audience is too sophisticated for that. And, uh, you know, if I, if I dumb down my copy, if I talk to them at the sixth or seventh grade level, I'm going to insult them. Well, guess what? People, I understand that. If they were to read something in their industry, if they were to read something that is related to their profession, their vocation, I can understand that. But when they're buying something, which is something they buy on emotion, yes, they will back it up with logic, but they first buy it on emotion. Well, emotion is best described at the sixth or seventh grade level. And so what you want to do is you want to take them by the hand, talk to them like in a very informal conversation. Yes, if you're selling, for example, uh, I don't know, uh, medical equipment to a hospital, you want to have a certain level of professionalism in your copy. I agree with that. But guess what? Every single person, let's say if you're selling to a group of people, every single person in that group is a human being. We all have that same disease called, you know, humanity. <laughs> and so we do make decisions based on emotion and then we'll justify or back it up with logic. So essentially you can, you know, talk about the emotions of what it is to have this particular product in your business or whatever. And you can use, uh, um, not just the language that, that I call it dumbed down, but you want to use more. You want to take them by the hand. You don't want to leave anything out by thinking that, you know, it's implied or they'll come to that conclusion. Well, guess what? If they're, if you leave people to their own devices, they might come to that conclusion, but chances are they also might come to the opposite conclusion. Okay. So if I tell you, if I don't tell you to buy this product and why, and I say, well, I don't want to insult my audience. I, they can, they can get from my copy that the product is really good and they can get how to order the product. I don't need to spell it out for them. Well, guess what? You do need to spell it for them because if you give them the chance to think critically, they will. And and people have a tendency to always look for the negative in everything. Why? Because we have it's this is based on on pure psychology, um Abraham Maslow's pyramid of human needs which is the need to survive, the need for shelter and safety and security, all those things that are at the base root of all human needs. And if, and because of that, we fear making a bad decision because parting with our money is partly part of that, uh, uh, you know, that security that we have. Yeah. So if I'm looking at buying a product or service, I'm going to try to justify not buying it as much as I possibly can in my mind. So if you give me a chance to think critically, to cogitate, I'm probably going to never buy your product. So – or, or I'll buy your product, but I'm going to ask for a refund after because I got cognitive dissonance, which is basically uh, I, I have buyer's remorse because I did because I thought too critically before. I decided to take a chance, then I still say, "Oh, this is not really what I wanted," or whatever. So you need to have to avoid that. So you need to take them by the hand to dumb down your copy and to include that language. The next one is confusion. You don't want to have 
multiple sales messages, multiple stories that are irrelevant to to uh, the actual sales letter, the sales message that you're, you're making. If you're buying, if you're selling a product, try not to have in your copy, you know, messages that talks about two or three or four other products that you're selling, because now you're going to be confusing your market. Uh, I I usually use the three number ones formula, which is one message, one market, one outcome. Go after one mess, you know, use one message, one sales message, meaning you're selling one product. You can offer multiple options of that product. You know, you can have option A or option B, but it's the same product. So, but what I mean is one offer is really what I'm saying. Okay. One, one message, one, uh, one market, which is going after one market. Now, going after the thinking and hurting that we've talked earlier, that's still the same market. What I'm talking about is going after different markets, trying to appeal to everybody, because if you appeal to everybody, you appeal to no one. Um, and then the third is one outcome, meaning one call to action. Don't ask them to buy and then say, well, hang on, I got this other thing. Well, hang on, I also got this other thing, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's confusion. And complexity, the third deadly C, is, you know, don't make it hard for them. Make it super simple. It, it, part of the whole process of, I'd say, t- dumbing down, which is the copy or the language itself, is also simplifying the funnel, the, the the slide process when they go from the headline all the way to the order form, mm-hmm. and you know don't don't try to deviate them, don't try to annoy them, don't use you know different colors or or, or scripts or things that will cause what I you know what oftentimes we call bottlenecks uh, in your copy because you're going to cause people it's like speed bumps you know yeah. uh we don't want speed bumps in our copy we want people to slowly move and and or well I wouldn't say slowly but steadily move from the beginning process of reading your copy all the way to ordering your product or service anything in in, in that process that stops them in their tracks that are speed bumps so to speak are going to deter sales uh, a big example of that is online, the process of loading a sales website. Sometimes if you if you look at your, your website and you can shave off a few seconds off the loading time, you'll probably notice an increase in your conversion rates because more people have to wait, the more they leave. Or even if they wait and they stay until it's fully loaded and they start reading your copy, they're now slightly or unconsciously disgruntled by the fact that you made them wait. And now you're, they're thinking, well... If you made me wait at the beginning, I can only imagine how much you're going to make me wait if I order your product. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean is to avoid those three C's. Avoid critical thinking or cogitation. Avoid confusion. Be as simple as possible and avoid complexity. You know, take them from one to another. Don't, don't, don't go into tangents. Don't be complex and don't add speed bumps. Try to make it as, as slip, slippery as possible, as, as we say. Just something that you were talking about there. When you mentioned about having option A or option B, can having more than one offer become confusing or complex and decrease orders at all? Well, and that's what I mean by different options of the same offer yeah. is, is fine. Uh, it, it depends also on the, the price point and also depends on your market or the, their, their level of awareness of the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a product that is not very well known and you've got an, an audience that's probably hurting, fine. Um, you're going to have, uh, you, you, you can add different options to buy a particular offer. You might have the, I call it the Olympic factor, the bronze, silver, and gold. Yeah. So you might have the option A, which is the base product. Then, you know, B is something that's added to it. And it might be actually your real offer, the middle of the road, the mm-hmm. actual offer itself. 
yeah. and then, and C, which is the gold standard, the platinum or whatever the case is. Well, the reason why that sometimes can very that can work very very well is because you have a middle of the road product, or yet the, the the what I call the silver or the, the 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 B option of the ABC. Well, the B can be your actual offer. Mm-hmm. And if you think that you can capture people's, uh, let's say, their email address, you probably will be able to then to offer them multiple options after the fact. But sometimes you don't have that that, that luxury. Sometimes your people are, are straight traffic coming from the internet, hitting your website, and you want to give them the option. So you want to sort of downsell, downsell them a little bit and upsell them a little bit in the same breath. Mm-hmm. So you might have three options on your sales letter, so you have the middle one, which is the real offer, but you might take away just a little bit with a lower version of the offer, or you might add a little bit to have a bigger, uh, you know, bigger package of the product. Now that could be done that way, mm-hmm. or it could be done with middle of the road offer. And if they leave, you either offer them a downsell, which is the lower the, the 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 lower option, or if they buy, then you get you offer them an upsell option where they can buy into the gold version if they wanted to before checking out. So mm-hmm. so you can offer them multiple options either together or – and this is something that you'll have to test. Again, it comes back down to – and this is something that's really important – is your market and their level of awareness of your product because it varies from market to market. It varies from price point to price point. Some markets, we have found that adding multiple options doubled sales. Some markets, we we found out that you know adding an extra option lowered sales uh, because it added it added confusion. So it really varies. It depends on. Uh, I give an example. We have uh, I sell uh, I do a lot of copywriting right now in the in the fit, in the fitness industry, mm-hmm. especially for uh, vitamins and minerals and so on and so forth. And very often, what we do is we offer them a couple of options. We'll say, hey, you want one bottle? Here's the price. But if you'd like to offer a month's supply, here's the here's the the, the discounted price. Mm-hmm. It's still a little bit more, but it's it's less when you look at a bulk pri- bulk pricing. Yeah. And then uh, the upsell is well, would you like to have a month supply shipped to you automatically every month? So there's option A, B, and C right there. But basically, we offer them the first one bottle, but then the possibility of maybe upselling them there. And then when they check out, we op- we op- we offer them the option to be on this. On you know uh, com- uh, endless refurbishing process, so mm-hmm. that's sort of a, a great way to do it. We I've then tried this in other markets, especially like, for example in the information business, in the information product marketing business. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really work too well sometimes because if, if your information product is a high quality, high value, high price product, uh, offering multiple options, people are are going to be confused and or they're going to wait they want to say okay i I want to think about this because i really want you know the the silver but i can't afford it so i might have to buy the bronze uh but i really like the gold so i'm going to think about it and if they have to think about it they'll never come back again that's cogitation that's part of the three deadly seas so the the only real way to know is to test then very often what i say to people is this start with one offer do one offer and then if that works really well then come back with another offer uh, with a, an, another option to the same offer and see how that works well. And if it works really well, then you're great. But if it doesn't, then take it off and then go back to your original offer. Sure. My final question is, should our copy have a consistent energy level throughout from beginning to end? And if so, when reading back, if we see a dip in energy, how can we raise it again? Well, the the, the best 
the best answer I can give for that is think of, of the stock market that's on a rise. Mm-hmm. It's not a straight slope. Okay. Uh, you should always have increasing energy. You should always have a certain tempo to your copy that gets faster, that gets more energetic, that gets more emotional, that gets more vibrant. But it, but you have a tendency to sometimes you, you'll have, you know, copy that will dive a little bit just because there's a moment of either reflection or something important that you wanted to express. Or maybe it, it seems not to capture as much attention as it, as it, you know, was before. Well, either you edit that out or you rewrite it or you will then bring them back by using, uh, tools like, for example, Johnson boxes. Uh, sometimes I will say I'll have a piece of copy and the copy itself is on a, a continuously upward dynamic uh, increase of energy, increase of vibrancy until you get them to buy the product. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you have information that you, would, you want to sort of give them throughout. You'll do it in these little side notes, sidebars, so to speak, at these little Johnson boxes, which is basically a box in the middle of the copy or a pull quote or a side note that describes a piece of information. You'll see that a lot in magazine copy. Mm-hmm. If you if you go if you go to your your uh, regular supermarket or grocery store, and you'll you'll see a lot of magazines, and you go inside and you see these full page advertorials. You'll see they use a lot of large font on the side, and sometimes these little boxes with additional pieces of information that's relevant to the problem or the solution, but it's not really something that helps to sell directly, anyways. So there's a bit of a dip, um, and it provides it, but it doesn't take away. It doesn't, you know, the people go back into the copy, they'll still have that same level of energy. Now, in um, NLP, and I'm not an NLP expert by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but I know that in NLP, they talk about something called pacing. Yeah. And, and pacing is sort of when you, when you take people by the hand and you, you, you have language that sort of brings up the tempo, that brings up the, 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 the level of energy in the copy, they're going to follow you. They're going to, you're going to pace them basically. You're, and you're taking them by the hand, so to speak, up until the point where you take them to buy the, the product or service. And that can be done with just making, just when you're reading the, the language. And sometimes the best way to solve that is to read the copy to yourself out loud. Because sometimes you'll catch yourself stumbling yourself. You'll catch yourself slowing down. Sometimes you can record yourself reading your own copy, and when you listen to yourself after the fact, you'll say, "Wow, um, that sounds like I'm, I'm going, I'm losing energy here." Whatever the case is. So now you can go back and either change it or make sure that when you bring it back up, that you you double the energy so that so you want to rebound that person back out of their lull, so to speak. So, uh, and and this is something that that's very simple. When you look at, for example, pool. Proof, push. Well, the pull aspect is the headline and and the, the beginning process of getting them curious. I, I'm you're, you know I'm grabbing you grab my attention and I'm a little bit interested in knowing what what exactly is this article or this piece is all about. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of talk about you know slowly about a story of a situation that they might feel akin to or something similar. It might be a story of somebody who had a similar problem. It might be your own story if you created the product out of your own particular story. So even your own story can be very powerful. But you you start slowly. You've grabbed their attention, but now you start slowly with telling the story. Then you increase the level of energy. You go up. You see, 
how much you know this created a problem and how the problem was bigger and the more I I was ignoring it the bigger it became and it festered and all that and then I looked for a, pro- a solution and I bought other solutions and how those solutions were terrible and here's why and then then I went and I finally found ta-da this product or service mm-hmm. and then they, then you go into the, the benefits and how there's these additional benefits that you didn't even know so you see I'm increasing the energy slowly and the, the, you can see the pace the tempo of the copy slowly getting faster and and more vibrant more energetic and and that's it you it, it, you you really can't just do it in such a way where you bring that energy back up yeah. you have to sort of either edit your copy so that it doesn't happen or when you do You'll have to be a little bit stronger in your copy and, and maybe do uh, a bit of a, uh, by the way, kind of, you know, I, I call it like the by the way or the incidental approach where you say, well, incidentally, and then it breaks them out of their pattern so that they can come back and back into the energy mode. And it's some, it might be like that. I said, those Johnson boxes, and even sometimes those little Johnson boxes can be the opposite. They can be used to bring the energy back when there's information in a copy that's a little bit too, too uh, low in energy. So those are just little tips and, and tricks. But very often, the best way to solve this problem is to read it out loud to yourself or even to record yourself reading your copy and then to see where you are slowing down and the energy is going down and you can change it that way. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such a good interview. I've got so much value from it. Where can we go to get more content from you? I know that you have a blog. I'm a big fan of it myself. And I know that you have products as well. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. Uh, you can go to my blog at michaelforton.com, which is uh, uh, Michael and F-O-R-T-I-N.com. Uh, I'm French-Canadian, so there you can spell it both the French way or the English way. It'll still go to the same place. <laughs> so no problem. <laughs> So michaelforton.com is my blog, and you also, if you want to work with me or if you're interested in, in hiring me or n- knowing more about the services I offer, there is uh, a page there that describes that. And I also offer training products if you want to know about more about my copywriting training products. If you'd like to know more of our products, my wife and I own a company called The Licorice Group. So you all have to do is go to licoricegroup.com, and that's our main corporate site. It has, it has a directory of all the products and services that we offer on that site. Cool. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you to you at home for joining us. I definitely recommend that you do go and check Michael's blogs and websites. You'll be glad that you did. And again, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome. The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, Make money.